Good morning. All right. Well, we're going to get started. So. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin, on him was laid here in the death of christ i live there in the ground his body lay light of the world by darkness slain then bursting forth in glorious day up from the grave he rose again and as he stands in victory since curse has lost its grip on me for i am his and he is mine bought with the precious blood of christ no guilt in life no fear in death this is the power of Christ in me From life's first cry to final breath Jesus commands my destiny No power of hell, no scheme of man Can ever pluck me from his hand Till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ I'll stand Till He returns or calls me home Here in the power of Christ I'll stand All right, Good morning. We uh, have a baptism today, so if you'll direct your attention over there. I can't believe she did it. Um, all right, so if anybody, before you get mad, that was all my doing. Um, and just for future reference, uh, you're, if well, let's say, let's back up. If your kid has been baptized before, they, they've had the same offer that Mia has. 
just nobody's done it yet. So the standing offer is 20 bucks if you cannonball into the, the baptism. And so, uh, yeah, me is the first one to actually do it. <laughs> she told me she was. I was like, oh, you're full of it. You won't do it. But, uh, yeah, so if you want to get mad, it was my fault. It was my fault. <laughs> okay, so, uh, yeah, real quick, uh, you know, one thing we talk about, obviously, all the time with this is how this is not a salvation experience, right? This is an uh, opportunity for Mia to come up and to let you guys know that she has made the decision, all that kind of stuff. This isn't saving her. This is just her um, letting y'all know kind of thing. So um, where do we start here? So I guess we should talk about the story, like kind of how this all happened. So back in October of last year, uh, Mia decided to uh, ask Jesus in her heart and um, say she's going to follow him. So kind of how that happened is uh, she had a little friend, um, Annalyn Hilliard, who basically just asked her, like, hey, when's this going to happen? And uh, typical Hilliard, uh, just very straight to the point. <laughs> but she was like, hey, uh, when are you going to do this? And so it got, I guess it kind of got me thinking a little bit more uh, about what the decision and everything. And so that day, that Sunday in GPS, she asked Jesus in her heart, said a prayer. So we've had lots of talks since then about what that means, what it doesn't mean. Uh, one of the really cool things that we've been able to talk about is the fact that uh, she has the unique uh, experience, I guess, of being twice adopted. And so most of you guys know that, that she's adopted. Uh, this is not news to her. She knows, so <laughs> don't worry about that. <laughs> she's not just now finding out. But yeah, that she's adopted, but she has that unique uh, experience of being twice adopted. So in our discussions, that's been a really cool um, opportunity of just being able to, to tell her exactly what has happened, that this isn't just a decision that she made, that she's actually been adopted again. And so that kind of made sense in her head and uh, kind of been able to move forward with that. So then we started talking about baptism, why that's a big deal, why we want to do that. And uh, she wanted to wait till her birthday, uh, which was last Sunday, but that didn't work out just for, uh, I guess, logistical reasons. But uh, so anyway, she's uh, got as close to her birthday as she can. So, uh, so here we are. And uh, I think... Uh, she wanted to do a speech, right? Didn't you have a speech to, to tell? <laughs> okay, so if anybody knows me, uh, she is uh, the kindest. She's uh, just full of compassion, big heart. She's super loud. Uh, if you get to know her, she is one of the loudest kids you're ever going to meet. But uh, this is all her decision. We, uh, one thing that I, I joke around, like, especially with our Bible study classes, a lot of times I try to talk her out of it. I'm like, you know, you sure you want to get back? You sure you want to get saved? You sure you get... Which sounds weird, but the, I, want her, I wanted her to make this decision herself. I wanted her to decide that this is what I want to do, not that I want to follow Christ because mom and dad does it. And so I can tell you uh, personally that this was her decision. We did not push her into it. And, uh, you know, she decided on her own that this is what she wanted to do. So here we are. Um, but yeah, I guess that's it. I think that's it. Hope I'm not missing anything. But uh, you ready? I told her I was going to choke slam her, but I'm not going to. All right, put your hand on your nose. You've asked Jesus in your heart. You said you're going to follow him the rest of your life, right? All right, with your confession, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. <laughs> All right. And her, uh, her Grammy is going to uh, say a prayer over here. Hope this works. <laughs> eight years ago, we in eight years ago in a week, we um, stood in my Bible study class, 
And I had a picture of the newborn Mia on my phone that Teresa and Chad had sent to us that because she had been born the day before, and, and um, they were waiting for the all clearance at the hospital for her to be able to come home with them. And we were all put my phone on the floor in my Bible study class. We all stood in a circle and hugged each other and prayed over the picture of Mia. And about the time our class was over was when they were finally given full responsibility and guardianship and custody to love and cherish Mia as their own daughter and she's been my own granddaughter ever since then and it gives me great honor to be able to pray for you Mia because you are special dear Lord Jesus we thank you so much for this day and for what it means everyone here who is a parent knows how grand it is to see their child come into the kingdom and as a grandparent it just means we all have eternity together because eight years certainly wasn't and isn't enough of Mia. Lord we just bless you and thank you so much for all of this and on behalf of the church <clears throat> we want you to help each one of us to be guardians of our little children the ones that you have put in our responsibility to raise, cherish, encourage, and guide into the kingdom. And we just thank you so much that Mia is one of those. And we just thank you as a church that we have Mia to take care of and to look after. Now go with her as she becomes a full-blooded Christian, that she grows as a wonderful Christian woman, that she learns to love you, and follow you every step of her way and be with her parents as they guide and direct her for as much as they can because from now on her guidance comes from God and we just ask you that you make us all aware of what that truly means thank you Jesus for Mia in your name I pray thank you right, you guys can take it away Josh good morning all right um, I don't know about y'all, but uh, I feel exhausted um, just with life. Um, this past few weeks have been um, just filled with um, horrible things happening. Um, and so today I wanted to, to, to do a set that sort of acknowledges that. Um, and uh, I want you to just take time to remind yourself that as Christians, we don't harden our hearts, um, but rather we should always um, feel um, the things that are going on around us and not move too quickly to action. Um, so we're going to start out with a reading from Romans 12, um, and then we'll go into our music. So don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. 
Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think that you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave it to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. And you set us up above all the stars. You set us on a high place by where you are. While we were dead, you made us your friends and scattered our dead upon the wind. Glory to one, oh God's murdered son, who paid for my resurrection. From the dust, once from the grave, daughters and sons from the ashes you've raised, hidden our faults, even from your own face, and scattered our dead upon the to no other end. 
refuge, no other rest for my soul. Oh, may I drink from no other fountain where living waters will flow. Jesus, you're all I need. Jesus, you're all I need. You are my life. May you be lifted high. There is no other like Jesus Christ. You are my story.
All right, this last song you're probably all familiar with, but you may not know why it was written. Um, it's the song How He Loves. And uh, he actually wrote it after a friend of his um, passed away. Um, and so while it may just seem like a song that repeats, you know, God's love over and over again, um, he did that because of the pain he was in. Um, and so I think it's a wonderful song to declare truth in the midst of sorrow.
Sometimes it's hard to see. Um, we know and acknowledge that you are always working and your word always goes forth. And may we continue to take hope in that. Amen. All right, we'll take one minute to give one last reminder that this is the last Sunday before our Guatemala fundraiser. So if you guys want to have fun next Saturday with games and food and a concert, we will still be selling tickets after church uh, at the table up front. Or if you want to touch base with any of the people who were standing up on stage last week. So time's coming up, and you guys get ready. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you, Kip. Good morning. This has been a great morning, hasn't it? Y'all, I just, I love this place. I just love this place so much. We, we got to see Mia baptized. So God's working here. We have Guatemala coming up. So we're going to reach the world. We have Grow Camp this week. So we're reaching our community. I mean, it's just such a privilege to be here. It really is. It really, really is. To see, see all that God is doing here and then around the world and to see people serving and pouring into one another. It's just, I love it. And I love that we have people who, who, who can fill in, like, like last week or, or in this week when, when Pastor Mark or Pastor Chad are busy. Like, we just, I just love this place. I really do. And I feel blessed to be here. Um, this, this week is Grow Camp, a uh, big week for the church. Love, love Grow Camp where we can pour into our, 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 our children. Um, we always have kids come in from the community as well, I know. And so it's going to be a big week. Please be praying for that. We'll pray for it at the end. But if, if you're not serving there, that's okay. Just, just be praying for it this week. This is a big deal. Uh, and, and it's just such a, such a time of, of revitalization and encouragement to the body. I know it is. Um, also, we, just a quick announcement is after the service, right after, there'll be a 10 to 15 security meeting right here in front of the baptistry. So if you're part of the security team, please be there. Jack asked me to, to mention that. I'm excited for this morning. I really am. Um, if, if you don't know me, my name is Zach Wilkie. Uh, I have the privilege of being a part of this body and uh, the un unprivileged of being Pastor Mark's son. And I <laughs> have the opportunity to be with you this morning. Uh, he's, he's at home watching right now, so he's probably texting me right now. I'm excited for today. I am. I say that every time I preach, but we're going to talk about a topic today, consist continuing in 1 Peter with where my dad has left off, that uh, is sensitive. Uh, it's, it's everybody in this topic has baggage. Um, and the privilege and opportunity of being able to preach when you're not on, on payroll is I can come with topics like this. <laughs> and so I am very excited about today, but there is one thing I always try to clarify, and that is I, I truly believe nothing of substance will happen this morning outside of the work of God. 
nothing. Nothing I can say, nothing we can sing, nothing I can do will do anything for any of you unless God is directly involved. And so I ask that you just pray with me and for me as I preach, because this is truly a time of community, uh, not just a time for me talking at you. Uh, This is a time for us to learn together. I I learn more probably than y'all do as I go through these. And so please just uh, be praying with me and for me as I preach. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity. Lord, as we jump into this morning, I just ask that you, uh, you provide clarity and, and understanding, prepare our hearts for this, this talk. God, First Peter, or Second Peter, rather, is just, just such an intentional book, and the passage today, I know, is, is really, really poignant. So please just be with us um, and guide us. It's in your name. Amen. Before I became a husband and a dad, I had a lot more time, and I... There was a season in my life where I had the opportunity to travel and do magic. Many of you know this. I, I, was, I did magic for camps and conferences, and I wasn't bad. I wasn't great, but I wasn't bad. I got along. And I had the opportunity. It was really cool that God allowed me to perform for a lot of people, mostly in Christian venues. Well, when you do magic for Christian venues, the, there, there is an interesting thing that happens where everybody, especially in the Christian world, responds to magic a little differently. Most love it. Most love it. Some do not. And I remember the, the I've had a few weird conversations over, over my, my time when I was doing that, but I do remember there's this one occurrence where I was at a camp, and I, uh, I was there for a week, and I went into the worship hall to prep for the evening, and there were two uh, uh, young women up at the front waiting for me, um, adult leaders. And so I go up, and I introduce myself, and they're like, you know, we've been waiting for you, and that's always good to hear, right? So I'm like, oh, this will be interesting. And they start with, um, we are so glad you're here at camp this week. Y'all, if someone ever starts a conversation with a one-sentence compliment, buckle up. <laughs> buckle up. Because what is about to follow is not going to be as kind. So I was like, oh, well, thank you so much. I'm hoping the conversation would end there. And she, the one lady says, we're just a little concerned. And I said, oh, really concerned by what? Um, she's like, well, we're just concerned that, that there's magic at a Christian camp. And I was like, oh, oh really? Like, I, I guess I get the concern. Like, what concerns you? And we talked back and forth for a bit. And it took some peeling of the onion of the conversation, but I eventually found out that she thought the magic was real. <laughs> like Harry Potter style, real magic. And I had to kind of be honest and say, look, I, I appreciate the compliment, but it's very fake. It's just mentalism, it's just mind stuff, it's manipulation, it's deception, it's very fake. And, and the conversation ended fine, the week ended fine, but what was funny is I walked away from that conversation kind of with two strange observations. The first is that I noticed, uh, first she thought the magic was real, that's weird, never experienced that. Uh, two, that is kind of the ultimate compliment, right? Where it's like, hey, she thought I was doing pretty good. She thought this was real. That's pretty cool. So it is truly the ultimate compliment. But as I was preparing for this sermon, um, there, there was one thing that, that kind of stuck out to me about this conversation as I was preparing is, is I, was, I was preparing about first, first Second Peter here, talking about works. And as I was thinking through this, this, ser- this sermon and this talk, it reminded me of this conversation because I think we have a tendency in the Christian circles, not necessarily here, to approach the works conversation, the works of faith, the good works conversation, like magicians. 
we tend to approach it thinking, okay, if I can just practice enough and do enough, perhaps I'll start to believe this myself. If I can just do good works enough, perhaps my heart will follow. If I, uh, I'm struggling with this temptation, if I just go to church enough, maybe it will just kind of go away. And so we start to approach works from more of a what it can do for me approach or uh, just simply a trying to deceive others. Maybe others will believe I'm actually better than I'm, I'm really feeling right now because I'm perceiving it that way. But when in reality, there is a big point of the whole works conversation here that Peter's getting at. This isn't just a performance that we're supposed to be doing that seasons our faith. This conversation of, of, of doing works, that, that, that buzzword, is truly a much bigger concept than just seasoning that, that, that you're supposed to add in maybe once a month when you go to God tell. And that's what I want to talk about today. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to 2 Peter 1. 2 Peter 1. If you've been with us during the study, you know that um, we've been going through Peter's writings and, and we've gotten into the weeds of what it means uh, when it comes to false teaching and, and living and suffering for the faith. Um, now, now we're kind of looking at works of faith. And this is not a light series we've been going through. This is heavy. This is heavy stuff. Peter's writing to an audience that is going to be burned and beaten for their faith. This is not a light study. And there's really a lot in, in, in specifically 2 Peter 1 here that we're going to touch on that perhaps is contrary to the way that the American church has perceived the Christian walk. And I, I have been so, I learned this in seminary, but I have been really reminded by the study that the Christian life is truly one of suffering. It is. It doesn't necessarily mean physical suffering or persecution all the time. It just is one of loneliness and tired and exhaustion and, 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 and struggle. The, the, the life of a Christian is one of sacrifice, humility, and suffering. That is the, the walk. It, it's not always this victorious, beautiful thing that perhaps we make it when people walk an aisle. There is a huge cost that comes to this. And so in 2 Peter 1, 10 and 11. Let's look at that right here. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things, and you will never fall away. Then God will give you grand entrance into the eternal kingdom for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, so this is our passage today. There's a lot I want to unpack here in just these couple verses. Peter is discussing what it means to grow in our faith. What it means to grow in our faith. He is discussing what we would call the process of sanctification. You've heard this word. I guarantee you've heard this word. It's just a big word to just simply describe the process of God working on us as we are proceeding toward eternity, as we proceed toward our death and entering the kingdom of heaven after he has justified us. This is the process of God working on us and making us like him. Hebrews 12 talks about this, running the race of faith, that, that everything in our life is God working on us and building us. Even our sins of the past, God has used to grow us into who we are. The body is meant to grow us and sanctify us as we become like him, as we draw nearer to the kingdom. Peter explains this better than I can in 2 Peter 1, 3. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us the great and precious promises. 
These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, verse 5, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patience and endur- patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Okay, so this is the process of being grown in our faith, of being sanctified. Now, to understand this process in light of works, as, as we're going to talk about in verses 10 and 11, I think we kind of need to step back and just understand the process of salvation as a whole. I think this is important. So there is a serious problem where we tend to limit the process of salvation to just the moment of praying a prayer. I'm going to say it again. There is a problem of limiting salvation just to the, just the moment of praying a prayer. When in reality, Scripture makes it very clear that salvation is, an, is, is a process. Justification, being declared righteous, adoption is a moment. But there is a lifelong process of God continually saving you from your flesh. And we don't talk about that part, do we? We talk about the beginning part where God saved you and his grace is abound and those are amazing things. But there's probably 50 years that follows where it's just exhausting. And that's what we're talking about in 2 Peter where there is a process to salvation. So before we just jump into sanctification and works and how it all plays together, I just feel like we kind of need to come to level ground and understand that there is a process to salvation. Right? And so I'm going to jump through this really quick. We're going to look at the, the, the few steps that make up salvation according to Scripture um, and look at the verses, and then we'll, we'll move on. So kind of a side here. So this is what the process looks like according to Scripture. You can kind of order it how, how perhaps you see in Scripture. There are people smarter than me, but this is the, the process. Starts with election. God has called you before the foundation of the world. Psalm 139 says this, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm doing or what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your head and a blessing on my head. You, such knowledge is too wonderful for me to, to, too great for me to understand. Okay, so election. So essentially God knows all. He has selected and elected a group, the group of people that he will save. God is sovereign, right? God is sovereign over all. He knows all. Following election, which is just God's plan for humanity, God's plan for those he will save, is his call. God calls you. We can agree on that. The effectual calling. God calls you to repentance. Matthew 11 says this. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. So God calls you, right? So all of us, when we receive salvation at some point, had a conviction in our heart. That is God's call, okay? That's the effectual calling. Following the calling, we would then maybe refer to something called regeneration. This is God giving you the spirit to be born again. Remember, he talks to Nicodemus. He says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, whoa, bro, what? Well, for this to happen, God has to bestow the Spirit upon you, be filled with the Spirit, so you can be born again. You don't walk up to God and say, okay, I'm ready for the Spirit. He bestows the Spirit upon you, gives the ability to be born again, and you're, quote, regenerated. First John says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. So he, he comes to you and regenerates you. He loves you. Then we have what we would refer to in the common Christian circles as salvation. The next step is conversion. 
This is what we talk about 99.9% of the time. All right, so we have this whole part where God's actually working on us. That's like God beginning to work on you in your life. Maybe someone started telling you about Christ. That's the God's call. Maybe someone started, you know, the, 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 the process that leads up to what we would then call the conversion. This is just faith and repentance. So God's called you. He's elected you. He's called you. He's regenerated you, giving you enlightenment through the Spirit. You're realizing that you are a sinner who needs him, and then you arrive where I need repentance. This is what we know and know well. Faith and repentance. So as a result of being regenerated by God, we can now repent in our sinful state and just ask for repentance by putting our faith in Christ. Matthew 18.3 says this. Then he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So following that, perhaps you prayed a prayer. You just gave your life to Christ. You realized your need for him. Then we have justification. This is what I've talked a lot about in my time here. This is where God declares you righteous. He bestows upon you the righteousness of Christ and bears on your sinfulness. We're justified in him. This is beautiful, right? This is what declares you sinless. Not that you have achieved sinlessness in and of yourself. No, that God looks, the Father looks at sinlessness at you in terms of what he has bestowed upon you because of Christ's work. In other words, Christ died on the cross. He resurrected and comes into your life. And now you are sinless because Christ has filled you. That's justification. He's declaring you righteous because of your position with God. After justification, we have 2 Corinthians 5.21 as a reference, by the way, just to prove that I'm not lying. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. After justification is where we're going to hang out today. Then we have sanctification. Okay, so we all perhaps can agree that God calls us. He, we all have had these stories. He, he, he works on you. you. You come to repentance. You pray that prayer. You, you, you give your life to God. You come to saving faith in him. Then we have the life of following Christ, right? So you don't just die at that point, right? It's not like once you pray that prayer, you drop dead and go to heaven. No, you live your life. You live your life. You spend... 30, 40, 50, however long God gives you as a follower of him in what we would call the process of sanctification. This is when God is working on you. Hebrews 12, running the race of faith. Second Peter here, where he uses things in your life to work on you and grow you in him. So we could say the first half of this process is him saving you from your sinful state. It's one and done, can't undo it. But sanctification is him saving you from your flesh. I guarantee you, all of you who found Jesus Christ in salvation, the next morning still had temptation. You still had temptation because you're still in flesh. You haven't had new bodies. You haven't arrived in eternity. Temptation's still there. And if you're perhaps here saying that you don't, then you're lying. Because all of us, after salvation, will still fight the flesh. And so God, God, oh, he's so cool. God actually says, look, I'm not going to leave you. I'm just going to stay with you and work on you through your life. I'm going to keep growing you. I'm going to put you through really, really hard times, but all those times are just going to be me working on you and growing you, making you like myself. So this is the process of sanctification. Acts 20 says this, Acts 20, 32. And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. Also, Hebrews 10, 10 says this. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Then after sanctification, there are two more. Sometimes we do leave it there. There are two more. The next step is something we would call perseverance. 
Perseverance. This is a little more theological. This is simply the concept that God perseveres you. After salvation and you're in the process of sanctification, God doesn't stop running after you. Can I lose my salvation? No. Why not? Because God's bound to you through the Spirit. He perseveres you. So as you're going through that process of sanctification and you sin and you will, God doesn't give up on you. Why? Because he's persevering you. Colossians 1.21 says this. This includes you who once far away from God, you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ and in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you've received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world. And I, Paul, have been appointed to God's servant to proclaim it. So, that, so we have perseverance. God's just persevering us. God holds us true to the justification he's given us. He holds true. He remains faithful. This is beautiful. We talk, I know I've talked to many with you about the faithfulness of God. What we're talking about there is just him persevering you, keeping you steadfast in him, despite your failure. And then lastly, we have glorification. And that's just you going to heaven. You going to heaven, receiving new bodies at the end times. Glorification. It's when we arrive in our eternal state. It's kind of us, us, us at our aim, us aiming for glorification when we are ra- raised to new life in God in our new bodies, and we get to spend eternity with him, glorifying him and spending time in his dwelling place. So this is, this is a, the process of salvation. If we have to break it down kind of systematically, that's what it looks like. And the only reason I do this is because I feel like if we're going to talk about works and clarify that works don't have anything to do with your saving from your sinful state, then we have to understand there is a process to salvation. We have to agree on this. Because otherwise, you'll walk away from this morning and say, what did he just say? We have to agree there is a process to this, this beautiful thing called salvation. So what Peter's talking about in 2 Peter 1 is that step called sanctification. He's not necessarily talking about election. He's not talking about calling. He's not talking about regeneration. He's not talking about justification. He is talking about sanctification, the 40 years you spend as a Christian following Jesus Christ. He's discussing living the life of faith. So look back at verse 10 in Second uh, Peter with me, 2 Peter 1.10. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. So Peter knows this firsthand. He denied Christ. He knows what it means to work hard to prove you're really among God has called and chosen. He, he, he was kind of the suck up. He cut off the ear of the guy when Jesus was being arrested. He knows what it means to quote unquote try to prove. But let me, let me kind of clarify something about this. His wording hit me this week because I struggle with this. Notice he didn't say work to prove yourself to God that you're part of his elect. Notice he didn't say work to prove to yourself that you're part of God's elect. He said just work to prove to each other, to your community. Show that God has regenerated you, that he has justified you with the way you live your life. Don't just find salvation and then just run to Vegas. No, live your life as a follower of Christ. As, as one who has been indwelled, work to prove that you are really among those God had called and chosen. This is an elect group. The believers at the time that Peter's writing to were about to be persecuted. They knew they were a small group of people that was not liked at the time. So he said, look, work to prove that you're part of that group, which is insane. What would you do if you were being chased by violence and abuse? You would hide it. 
But Peter's saying, work to prove that you're part of that group. Prove it. Show people. Show that you're a part of this group. Be proud of it. He didn't say, work to prove yourself to God. He didn't say, go to confession twice a week. He didn't say, go to church so that he can love you. He said, be a part of that body. Be a part of that community. Work to prove you're a part of that group and that he has called and chosen. Yet how often do we wake up after a difficult week of perhaps temptation and sin and say, man, I need to go to church this week. Man, I need to read my Bible tomorrow. Man, I should listen to some Hillsong. Man, I really just, I need to fill in the blank. That's not what Peter's talking about. Peter is clearly saying that we must work hard to prove that we are among those God calls as it benefits the body of Christ and it benefits us. He says in that next statement, do these things and you will never fall away. So this is true. It's kind of right out of AA's book, right? Fill your idle time with acts of faith and moral living and there's kind of less room for temptation. There's not much more to expound on that. Peter knows. He struggled. Fill your time. Fill your time serving God. Doesn't have to always be at a church or in a ministry. It can just be living a life of faith. Fill that time. Fill that headspace, and maybe you won't struggle as much. Good advice. Peter knows. He understands what it means to be called to serve one another. Not just a couple days a week, but truly just live in a close-knit community. So as we move forward in this conversation, I want to summarize this real quick, because I've said a lot. We're moving fast. Let me summarize it this way. If salvation is the asphalt on the road to heaven, so we'll say salvation through justification where God declares you righteous and adopts you into his family. If salvation is the asphalt on the road to heaven, then works are the lane markers. They guide, they direct focus, and refine our steps as we proceed toward the destination of heaven. In other words, let me say it again. If salvation is the asphalt on the road to heaven, then works are the lane markers. They guide, direct focus, and refine our steps as we proceed toward the destination of heaven. East Texan drivers need lane markers. (laughs) Have you seen someone drive in East Texas, some people here? What's the deal with stopping on the merge and merging? What's that deal? I don't don't get that. That's not, I mean, maybe I'm from, I'm I'm not from Texas, but I don't, I don't get this. We need lane markers. Just look at driving. We need things that guide us. Otherwise, we're all over the road. We don't know where the road starts and the road ends. We are all over the place. We bump into people. We need lane markers. Are the lane markers the key to our destination? Uh, They're not the key, but they definitely make it easier. Works are vital to our life of faith. They keep us focused on the back of Jesus' head and take our minds off ourselves. They keep our minds out of unnecessary things, and I think we saw this most in 2020. What happened when everyone, specifically the Christian community, didn't really commune, didn't break bread, and was stuck at home? They ate each other alive. They ate each other alive. They debated the validity of data, medical treatments, theology of medicine, the church's job in the world, and couldn't agree on much of anything. Why? Because we filled our time with things uh, 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 that isolated us, frustration, anger, and debate. These struggles we saw didn't really matter in the grand scheme of things because the grand scheme is simply focusing on eternity. As, 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 as Peter says in verse 11 now, then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of heaven and uh, a kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Okay, so this is a weird turn, right? So why does Peter bring in the entrance into eternity into a conversation about works? Eternity is something that has to do with salvation. Why would works be brought into a conversation, or eternity be brought into a conversation about works? Some of you right now are gripping your seat. You're gripping your seat. 
you, you grew up Catholic, and you're gripping your seat thinking, I don't like this. Works have nothing to do with salvation. Works have nothing to do with salvation. Why would he bring in eternity into a conversation about working to prove yourself that you are part of the group of God? I'm glad you asked. This is what I see. Because the eternal kingdom of God is where our focus should be at all times. Because whether you have had salvation 10 minutes ago or 40 years ago, whether you've been, wherever you are in life, eternity is your focus. The kingdom of heaven, that is the focus. Like the thief on the cross, 10 minutes into his salvation, he joins Christ in heaven. Eternity is the end goal in the process of salvation. It is the destination for those who have been called, justified in Christ, then sanctified as they walk the life of faith. This is level ground. This isn't different for people. It doesn't matter where you come from or how long you've been a believer. Heaven has to be your focus. Because if you put anything else in that place, you're going to end up discouraged. Now let's talk about eternity. I think we spend a lot of time talking about this, but not talking about it completely rightly. I really do. And I, I'm kind of guilty of this. I think my concept of heaven has always been just a reward for my salvation. When that's kind of to some degree what it is, but it's a little bit of a self-perspective because it makes me the center of the universe. Eternity is the dwelling place of God. I have treated eternity like the neat place I go when I die, but don't really want to get there anytime soon. In reality, this is the dwelling place of God. The tabernacle didn't do it. This is the place. It couldn't, it couldn't suffice. Solomon's temple wasn't good enough. This is it. it is, if Peter is right and heaven is our focus, then we should grasp eternity in the light of God's holiness. This is what eternity is not. Eternity is not just a place for you to hang out after an easy life. Eternity is not a place where you can enter on your own accord just because God saved you more, more on this in a few minutes. Eternity is not boring, filled with clouds, and have babies everywhere. Eternity is not simply an idea. It is a real place that exists right now. Eternity is not earned. Entrance is given. Eternity is not a place you become an angel. What eternity is, is the dwelling place of God where God's divine throne room resides. Eternity is a place of holistic presence with the one triune Godhead, a reward for salvation awarded to those who have been tied to the victory in Christ. Not a reward because you prayed the prayer, but a reward because Christ redeemed you. Eternity doesn't include, a, it includes a special honor for those who are martyred and heroes of the faith. And most importantly, eternally, oh, this, this is so important. Eternity is a place we do not lead ourselves into. It is a place we follow Jesus into. Even in the life of faith and good works. Psalm 24 begs this question. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundations on the seas and built it in the, on the ocean depths. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. Open up ancient gates. Open up ancient doors and let the King of glory enter. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord invincible in battle. Open up ancient gates. Open up ancient doors. Let the King of glory enter. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of heaven's armies. He is the King 
of glory. So in this psalm, the angels are shouting, there's no one worthy to open that scroll. There's no one worthy. Every person who tries to approach the kingdom of heaven on their own has perished. They can't do it. People entered the Holy of Holies with a rope, the priests with a rope around them because they would die before the presence of God. Who is worthy? God. Only God. Only him. Only Jesus Christ to the victory on the cross. Eternity is not a place we go on ourselves, and I am tired of us trying to bring eternity down here. We try to bring eternity here. We try to make heaven on earth, and you can't. It happened once, and his name was Jesus. We try to make eternity at home. We try to make eternity at church, but eternity is only in the dwelling place of God. I think so often the reason we have a bad perspective on works and maybe the bad perspective on this concept is because we don't understand eternity. We don't understand that this is truly a place that we follow Jesus into. It's not just a gift because you were his kid. It is that, but it's a gift because you are called his kid. He calls you by name. It's not a present. It's fellowship. It's a relationship. Peter makes this so clear, that we are on a path toward heaven when God saves us. That heaven doesn't move at our bidding, and nor does it find its place in the decrepit existence of this depraved world. Churches like Bethel try to do this. They believe you have to bring heaven down here, and that's just not how it works. It would be dishonoring to the dwelling of God. God doesn't need us, but he wants us. This is why Christ came and did the work so we don't have to. So turning back to 2 Peter, the biggest question that comes from this passage, why are works necessary if salvation doesn't depend on them? Well, they do have a bearing on salvation, just not justification or regeneration. That's what we talked about, right? They have a bearing on your salvation, just not the early process, the later process. They, they don't declare you righteous. They don't save you from your sinful state, but they definitely save you from your flesh. They keep you from yourself. It's God working on you through your own working for him. Let me say it this way, and to, to be provocative because I'm a Wilkie. Works are required for salvation as a whole. It's Christ, listen to me, works are required for salvation as a whole, but it's the work of Christ that justifies you. It's the Spirit's work that binds you to him, and then it's God's work that allows you to do his work. So yes, works are required, but it isn't your works. It's God's works that allow you to work for him. Does that make sense? Okay, I just want to make sure I'm heard here because this is a sensitive topic. I'm not saying your legalistic behavior saves you. I'm saying is God's glorious grace on the cross saves you and gives you the ability to give your life to him. It's not a one and done. This is a one and for all. If works are not present in your life, this, this could be just serving your family. I'm not just talking about like ministerial works. This could be serving your family, faithfulness, honor, morality. If, if these fruit of the Spirit is not present in your life, then perhaps God hasn't begun the work on you in the first place. Because by definition, if you are saved, you will produce good works. There's no if, ands, or buts. If you don't necessarily see fruit of the Spirit in your life, then I would be slightly concerned. I 
I think many generations in the church in America kind of had this backwards, where either they believe that you're saved completely by God and then you can do what you want, or you have to do this, 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 this to work your way to heaven. It's kind of this pendulum that dad always refers to. Does God entirely do the work of salvation? Yes. But as a result, is he continually working on us by calling us to a life of morality and good works for him? Yes. Yeah. The takeaway here is not to wake up each morning and being nervous that you haven't executed enough. Many have tried that. There's a famous quote from St. Francis of Assisi from like the 1400s who said, you know, at all times preach the gospel and if necessary use words. Like that's a pretty quote. Maybe you've heard it, on a, seen it on a cup. But he kind of went crazy because he would beat himself thinking you had to suffer like Jesus suffered. You can go too far with this. Alternatively, there's another approach that says, once you're saved, you can just do what you want, that God just wants you to enjoy happiness in this life and live it to the fullest because you save, he's persevering you. There's not really much, much loss here since you are bound to his eternal faithfulness. And I would be, argue to be careful here because if there's nothing in scripture that teaches that's okay, and if you're choosing to live your life like that, perhaps salvation didn't happen in the first place. Peter here is calling us to do the work of Christ with what little time we have here. Because he did the hard work for us. He gave us the easy stuff. You realize that? He gave us the easy stuff. I've had conversations with people. It's like, I'm just so tired of having to try to do this. I'm like, but you didn't die on a cross. Like, like God is just calling you to live your life for him, honor, honoring him, being faithful to him. That's it. He's not calling you to save yourself out of your sinfulness. Peter here is calling us to do the work of Christ with what little time we have because he did the hard work for us, serving one another, executing works of faith like Christ did. That this is how Christ guides us toward eternity. It takes our minds off ourselves. It teaches us. We grow. We learn how to take ourselves out of the picture. Where we join, at at the end of our life, we join the triune Godhead in his dwelling. Now, I guarantee there are going to still be a few here that that rubs this, this rubs wrong. Maybe you have such a bad taste in your mouth from bad experiences. And please understand that Peter is simply saying that your works are used by God to work on you. Your works are used by God to work on you. That's it. Second Peter 1, 3 says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received this all by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And then verse 5, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with the generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge. We are not walking away from this passage saying you have to work your way to salvation. We are just, it's so wrong. Romans 2, 2 Corinthians, or Romans, 2 Corinthians, and many others make this clear. What we are saying is Christ did the good work so you can live your life for him faithfully, faithful to your family, faithful to your employer, faithful to your friends, faithful to your church, to be honorable, to be upright so people see your Christ-like behavior before they hear your Christ-filled story. That, that God wants us to live our lives so people see our Christ-like behavior before they hear our Christ-filled story. We want God to move mountains to show us where he, who he, that he is there and that he can do big things when in fact the, 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 the mere fact that he woke you up is enough. He holds your life in his hands. He asks you to just follow him with it. So we talk about works. We're talking about living faithfully, living morally according to Scripture. Note that, you, that you're not that you're earning salvation, but that God owns your life, that you have given your life to him. And every time this topic's brought up, and I've, I've had the opportunity to preach it a couple times, someone walks 
away upset. And maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point. Maybe because it, 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 what Peter's saying is perhaps true, that this is conviction. Perhaps the reason many people walk away from this conversation upset is because Peter's hitting a sore point. Peter's hitting a sore point that we still have to be a people of Christ, even on Facebook. Thereby, good works do it, are doing its job already. It's refining you. Even the conversation's refining you, right? Because if you have discomfort with it, now you're having to wrestle with God. So it's doing its job. Now, I understand it is easy to, to walk away from this, perhaps, and not quite know what to, what to think. Perhaps it is still, it's, it's, it, you understand that this isn't calling us to, to use works as a method of salvation, but you are thinking, okay, but does that still mean I just have to do more and I have to keep track of those things? May we not forget that God is sovereign overall, and while we make plans, God determines our steps. That there truly is nothing both in sin or faithfulness to him that is unexpected. So that you don't walk away from this conversation saying, okay, I need to go buy a book on how many things I need to be doing each day. No, 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 no. God is sovereign. He's got your life planned out. It's simply saying, live your life for him, in the, even the mundane. Change your, di- your kid's diaper for Jesus. Love your family. Care for your church. Don't just be a taker. Be a doer. Serve. What an amazing time to talk about this when we have Grow Camp this week. We can often be a little, just, 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 I have seen people like this in the church that often just want to be parasites, watching from far away, taking and taking, but not giving. The church is built up by each other, not the leaders. May we not forget that God is sovereign over all, and he's calling you to a life for him. Peter wasn't writing this letter to the Christians to depress them. Remember, they're about to go through persecution under Nero. So if you were writing a letter to encourage a believer, and I have, I've had the privilege of speaking to someone in Ukraine right now, if I was to write a letter to him right now in Ukraine and encourage him, do you think I would write him, hey, be a good person? That wouldn't make sense, right? Because that's not what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, live your life for God. Prove to the people around you that you are his. So he's writing to a people about to be completely just, 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 persecuted to the nth degree, an encouraging letter surrounding living life for God. About loving God and glorifying him with your day-to-day life. Let this not be a reminder to do more, but a reminder that God did it all. That you can give him everything. This truly is, is it really a submission sermon. It's not a legalistic sermon. It's not a work harder sermon. It's a reminder that our, even our daily lives are his. Not just our theology, not just our salvation, but even our daily lives belong to him. We, mean, we need to be reminded by this frequently. God has done the work so we can be his children, that we can carry on his good work for each other. In John, thir- or John 13, uh, Jesus washes the disciples' feet right before the Last Supper, and he says this to his disciples. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. 
Okay, so he's telling his disciples to, to do his work, just as I have. Continue this pattern. Keep this up. Keep doing it. Christ is about to go do the work of salvation, and he's saying, hey, don't go, don't, you don't have, don't go to confessional five times a day, or don't do this, don't do this five times a day. He's saying, just keep doing what I'm doing. You are my children. Live your life like that. This is about us spending our lives post-salvation, serving the Lord by serving one another, living upright lives, and reflecting Christ so even our lives speak of the salvation we have achieved through him. That is what I th- Peter is getting at in 2 Peter 1. That's why he brings eternity into the conversation. Not because you're working your way to eternity, but because eternity is the ultimate encouragement as you go through what is difficult life as a believer. And how do we interact with the, the, the struggle, the strife, the hardship? Maybe your child is sick. Maybe your, your marital issues with your spouse. Maybe you're going through hard times with your family. Maybe it's a financial struggle right now. Uh, maybe you're having to take a bike because gas is $28 a gallon. Maybe, you know, whatever it is, the whole point is just simply don't get bogged down by suffering. Focus on living for him. It is easy to live the life of a Christian in a state of victimhood when you don't have to. You can live a life of, 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 of honoring God with your life by doing his work, being the, the, the beacon of his joy that he provides you each morning. Lamentation says, uh, my, his, great is his faithfulness, that each morning I wake up with the joy of the Lord, written in a time when God seemed to be non-existent for the Jewish people. You can be a person of him so filled with his joy, not because you're doing a set of lists or a list of 10 things, but because he called you to a life of him and that you can live your lives, do your jobs, and just do the mundane as a follower of Christ. And I struggle with this as much as any of you. This is hard. There's a reason you don't do studies on First and Second Peter very often. <laughs> They're difficult passages. But I pray that we as a church can walk away from this into a week of grow camp and know that life isn't about us or about what God has done for us. It's about what God is doing in our lives as a result of what he's done for us. God is continually working on you, continually saving you, continually pursuing you, continually persevering you so that you can continually live for him. That's it. That's Second Peter 1, 10 and 11 to me. So I want to pray for Grow Camp. I want to pray for this week when we have an opportunity as a church to put this into action. You know, one of the biggest struggles when you write sermons is application. So you're kind of taught how to, how to touch on every people group, every issue, how to kind of touch it so people, you know, really can feel like this sermon applies to them. You have all these strategies. But this week, I don't have to apply anything. I can just say, hey, this week, we got an opportunity. So please, if, I'm going to pray for Grow Camp, and then we'll be done. But if you're a leader for Grow Camp, can you just stand so we can pray for you together? If you're here in the room and you're going to serve at any level at Grow Camp, that's okay. You can, oh my goodness, I know we hate standing. It's okay. I've been standing for 40 minutes. So let's, can we pray for you guys? I'm going to pray, and then we'll be done. Jesus, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for this passage. God, this, this was a convicting passage for me. God, as we approach this week of Grow Camp, where we have the opportunity for five days to pour into our kids, 
to pour into our children, to, 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 to teach them awesome skills and teach them why they can serve God with those skills, even in the mundane. God, may we not be focused on perhaps any type of exhaustion or any type of, of, of issues at home. Let us just focus on these kids and pour into them. Give them, help us give, us give them our time and focus, God, and work on us. Let this be an encouraging week for us, reminded that even in the mundane, we get to serve you, living our life and doing the works focused on eternity. God, it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Babel Studio started at 11. Y'all have a wonderful week.